Grace to peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's word which we receive with joy this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22 verses 15 to 22. And the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk and they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their weakness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they had heard these words, they marveled, and they left him, and went their way. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. A little background for those of you who may not be familiar with what's going on here in our gospel account. The Jews hated the Romans. Why wouldn't they? The Romans were usurpers. They were invaders. They were uh, idolaters. They were morally destitute, especially the emperors. Uh, we think that some of our leaders are morally re reprehensible, but they're nothing compared to what the Roman emperors did. It did open them in the sight of the whole world. The Jews said, we're the, the God's nation, we're God's people. Surely God is going to come and drive these Romans out. And because they hated the Romans, they also hated the tax collectors. I mean, not many people like tax collectors, other than Lila, of course. But not many people like tax collectors to begin with. But <clears throat> to the Jews, they were especially reprehensible because <laughs> they were collecting taxes for Rome. And we see this, this hatred in the Gospels, in multiple places. One example is Matthew 9, 10, where now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him. You notice how the tax collectors are so odious to the Jews that they have to mention them specially. You know, you have the sinners, including that they're including the prostitutes there. The, the prostitutes don't have to be singled out, but uh, the tax collectors, they're so bad, they need to be singled out. Tax collectors and sinners. And so the Jews thought that they finally had a way to track Jesus, right? We're really going to get him with this one. Because if he says we should pay our taxes, well, then we can really rile up the crowds against him. Well, we don't like the tax collectors. The, the people don't like the tax collectors. We don't, want to, we don't want to pay our taxes. This is going to really get the people on our side. But if he says we shouldn't pay taxes, well, the Herodians are there who supported Herod and the Romans, and uh, they can go back and report, and then he's going to be in trouble with the Romans. So they really, really feel like they, they got Jesus in a corner. There's no way any self-respecting Jewish teacher could possibly defend the Romans, but even if he does, we're going to get him with the Romans. Except Jesus does, doesn't he? He 
He does have a good answer to why they should pay taxes. And his answer is so simple and yet so profound that the Pharisees marvel. They're astounded at his answer. They don't agree with him. Even now, they don't believe him that they, that they should pay taxes. But they have nothing that they can say in response. Bring me a denarius, he says. And the denarius that they brought him is the, the same as what's on the front of your bulletin. That's Tiberius Caesar pictured on the front of that denarius, who was emperor at the time of Jesus' ministry. So it was probably the exact same coin, not that same one, but you know what I mean. <laughs> the exact that same coin, same inscription. Bring me this. Oh, whose, whose image is that? It's Caesar's. Therefore, it, it belongs to him. Therefore, render it to him. So we want to take time this morning then to really ponder, really consider these words of Jesus. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to, and to God the things that are God, and to understand the full truth that Jesus is teaching us here and how it applies to our life. What does Jesus mean when he says, render? Well, he means that we should give back. He means that we should do it willingly. He means that we should do it without excuses. And he's talking about more than just taxes here. Render means to give back. If we look at the, the word that's used in the Greek here, it's the word apodote. And the first meaning of, of the word apodote means to, to give what is due. But the second meaning is to give back. And it's pretty clear from the context that Jesus is making use of that second meaning, right? He's saying, here, whose inscription is it? It's Caesar's. Therefore, give back. It belongs to him. Give back what is his. In other words, Jesus is, is emphasizing to us that when you pay your taxes and, as we're going to see, give to the government the other things that are due to it, you're only giving back what is theirs to begin with. You wouldn't... Uh, Keep, if you borrow your neighbor's mower or, or grinder or car, you wouldn't keep it, right? You've got you to give it back. It belongs to them. And so Jesus is saying as well, it belongs to the government. Give back what is due to them. Paul, the Apostle Paul, expounds on Jesus' words here in, in Romans chapter 13. And uh, very naturally, we're going to be looking at a number of passages in Romans 13 because uh, Paul is talking about the same thing as Jesus is talking about. But specifically in Romans 13, 7, he reminds us, Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. And so Paul elaborates. He explains that when Jesus says, render to Caesar the things, notice Jesus used the plural. He's not talking, he doesn't say render the money. He doesn't say render the thing, but he says the things. He's talking about more than just paying taxes. And Paul explains that. What is owed the government is more than just paying your taxes. But the things, namely honor, obedience, and yes, also taxes. Give to them what is these are things that God has given to the government. Again, in Romans 13, verse 1, Paul reminds us there is no authority except from God. And we saw that in our Old Testament reading. God chose Cyrus and appointed him. Now, Cyrus wasn't uh, a very good guy. He was 
a lot better than the Babylonian kings that came before him, but he wasn't a particularly good guy, and yet God chose him and made him not only king of Persia, but even emperor over Palestine for his own purposes. These are things that God says, I have given to those in authority. They belong to them, therefore give them back as is right and proper. Honor, obedience, and taxes. Give back. Render means to give back what is theirs in the first place because God has given it to them. But it also means, and Jesus very much shows us this, that it also means that it comes from the heart that it is done willingly. Well, if we look at Romans 13 again, verse 5, and Paul says, therefore, you must be subject. We're talking about the government, of course, there. You must be subject to the government. Now, the Bible has lots of different ways to talk about, lots of different words that it uses to talk about uh, obedience or subjugation. For example, there's the, the word duomai, which means to be a slave. And then, of course, if you're a slave, you don't have any choice. You do what you're told, or you end up in trouble, right? Or there's the word stenokorapomai, which means to be confined, bound, limited. And so you think of those, those people who are not only slaves, but Gallic slaves, and how they were often chained to their seats and even to the oars that they were supposed to be paddling. Uh, not only did they have no choice, they were literally chained to that task and often did it until they died. Uh, pretty difficult. Or you have the word bakolo. Uh, that's one that, that children should pay attention to and remember. Hupakoa. It's the word that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 6 when he says, Children, obey your parents. And it implies to listen. Listen. Not talk, but listen. Uh, how often parents get frustrated because their kids won't stop talking long enough to listen to what they're supposed to be doing. So Paul says, listen and do what the word means there. None of these is the words that Paul used, is the word Paul uses in Romans 13. He's not saying, well, you're a slave to the government. He's not saying you're a child who needs to simply listen and do. Instead, uh, he instead he uses another word uh, which mean, which which means a willing choice. He uses the word hupotasso. Which means you follow out of a willing choice. You're not, you're not a slave, God says, bound to the government. You're not a child who needs blind obedience. But rather, he says, you should, you should make the, the willing choice to follow. Unless, of course, the government is trying to enforce, force you to do something that is contrary to God's will. He's asking you to, to willingly honor and to fulfill your responsibility, not, not only to your government, uh, but to your neighbor. That's really what we're doing when we honor the government. And Kubotasso is really an adult word, right? You have to be an adult to, to learn how to willingly follow. And we have another English word, which I think fits very, very well here. And that's the word duty. Duty isn't something you do because somebody is standing over you with a whip. Duty isn't something a child does. Uh, a child does it because their parents told them to. The duty is what an adult does because it is their responsibility and it's what they owe. Our, 
our military, our armed forces have, have a duty, don't they? They have a duty to, to stand like a wall and protect us from our enemies. But what is our duty to them? Our, our police have, and firefighters as well have a duty to uphold the, the rights of all citizens. What is our duty to them? And our leaders, our president, our governor, our legislators, they have a duty as well. They have a duty to make very difficult decisions. It's very easy for us to sit around here and back in our homes and talk about why they're wrong and how they should do things our way, but when we're actually in that position of authority, making those decisions and making them correctly becomes far more difficult. They have a duty to make difficult decisions for the good of all, not just for the good of farmers, right? And not just for the good of, of Lutherans, but for the good of, of all. What is, what is our duty to them? And God's word makes it very clear what our duty is. To honor them. To, to willingly and gladly pay our taxes and to pray for them. Why? Not because they're perfect and do everything right, but because this is what God has given to them. And we ought to willingly give it back. When Jesus says to render, therefore, he's willingly give back what is theirs in the first place, but also we're going to see that we should do it without excuses. Notice that uh, both in Romans 13 and in our gospel reading, there is not one question or one discussion about whether the government is doing, whether Caesar is doing his duty. Jesus doesn't begin by saying, well, well, if you think Caesar is a good emperor, I'm pretty sure I know what the Jews would have responded if he had asked that question. He doesn't say, well, if you think Caesar is a moral person. Now, there are places in Scripture that do talk about how those in authority ought to use their authority, but it doesn't come here, where Jesus is discussing our responsibility, uh, our response to that. Their moral problems, their not doing what we think they should, uh, even their failure and moral depravity is not an excuse for me to disregard what God has given me to do. This is a, a sinful attitude which is, which is at the heart of um, many sins. And it's a sinful attitude which often confuses the that Jesus is, is discussing here because we often say, but. Oh yeah, God says we should honor those in authority, but. And we point to their sin. We, we don't do it just with the government, do we? Uh, we do it all the time with, with one another as well. Uh, and in many different areas of our life. This is how uh, one of the ways Satan tempted Eve. God's not giving you what you really deserve. He's keeping something back from you. So you're not obligated to continue to, to listen and honor his word. How many do that, especially especially in marriages. How many marriage arguments begin with you should or you did or you didn't or you shouldn't or you said. And when we begin an argument that way, what we're really saying is, well, you failed in this way, therefore I no longer have to respond with love and We even, we even use that as an excuse for some uh, really atrocious sins, uh, not, only, not only in our marriage, but in other areas of our life as well. Uh, 
I deserve this, uh, they haven't given me what, what I, I deserve, therefore this is okay for me to, to steal even, or, or do other things as well. And we use it against our government as well. They're not doing their job, therefore I don't need to render. But Jesus dispenses with that argument. He doesn't even get into it. It's not a question of whether they're doing their job. He says to us, you render to them what is owed them. Honor and respect. God says, we, Jesus says we should render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but he continues, of course, into God the things that are God's. So what do we owe to God? We're talking about what we owe to government. What do we owe to God? And the law tells us in Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is important. This is important not only in uh, our discussion about what we owe God, but it's important also in the previous phrase, what we owe to the government. Because you notice that the one thing we do not owe to the government is our hearts. Our hearts belong to God. This is also one of the problems, one of the reasons why the Jews don't understand this simple truth that Jesus is trying to explain here. Because, now they certainly haven't given their hearts to the Roman government, that's for sure. But they haven't given their hearts fully to God either. What they've done is given their hearts to their nation. And because their nation, the nation of Israel, is first in their hearts, they can't understand why would we honor and respect our own government. They're invaders, they're usurpers, they're taking away our nation. When we give our hearts to God, then giving honor and even taxes to our government is not really a problem. We see that in the lives of Paul and the other apostles. Uh, Peter and John, when they were taken before earthly authorities, even the Jewish earthly authorities who were trying to persecute them, they gladly and willingly honored them. Why? Because God was first in their hearts and they knew that it didn't matter. That God was in control, just as we saw in our Old Testament reading. That God would work all things for good. And they knew, too, that their goal and their, their focus in life wasn't on this nation, or that nation, or, or this earthly paradise, but their goal was uh, the kingdom of God and, and the heaven which is to come. When we, when we give our hearts to God, we can willingly pay, pay taxes without complaining because we know that God has provided that, that money in the first place, and uh, God will bless us and take care of us, even if we go through some times where, where money is a little tight or a little difficult, God's not going to abandon us. Provide, he will provide for us and protect us. And so, oh, what's the big deal if we give back taxes to the government? When we, when we put our nation first in our heart, it becomes difficult to honor leaders who we see as destroying our nation, right? We wouldn't, it would be very difficult to honor somebody who's uh, you know, beating a child, right? We, <laughs> especially if it's our child. We love that child. We don't, we don't want to see someone beating it. It would be difficult to honor that person. And it's difficult to honor and respect leaders that we see as destroying our nation if our nation is first in our life. But when we remember and put our trust in God, above, even above our nation, then okay, God is in control. I can give honor and respect even to those I disagree with out of love of God. According to the law, 
We owe God our heart. And this is especially, of course, outlined in the first three commandments. But we have to remember, we're not under the law, are we? We are under the grace of God. And under God's grace, what do we owe God? And the answer is, Tim's going to answer. Nothing. Nothing. Good answer, Tim. <laughs> we owe, according to under the, the grace of God, we owe nothing. Jesus told us, I did not come to be served, to get something from you, but to serve and give my life as a, land, as a ransom for many. Jesus did not come to receive anything from us, but to give freely. Remember Abraham? Remember when God came to Abraham and he told him, go and get a, a, a cow and a goat and a ram and two birds. And Abraham went and he got them and he cut them in half, except, except the two birds. He just put those uh, one on either side. And he cut them in half and he stood there waiting all day and whatever uh, vultures or other birds of prey would come, he would chase them away. And then at evening, at evening, God did something astounding, more astounding, the dividing the Red Sea or sending fire down on Carmel. At evening, God appeared as a torch and a, a, a flaming brand, and God walked through. God and God walked through those divided animals. This, this cutting the animals in half, this was a, a business covenant. This was a, a way the ancients had of signing contracts. And it was a way of taking an oath and saying, oh, look, I'm going to do my half and you're going to do your half. And uh, if I don't do my half, uh, may I be like these, this cow cut in half. May, may this happen to me. So it was a, a really very solemn oath and business agreement. But Abraham doesn't walk through, does he? God and God walk through. And in this vision, God is saying to Abraham, and through Abraham, he's saying to the rest of us as well, I'm going to do my half. I'm going to fulfill my responsibility, and I'm going to fulfill your responsibility. I'm going to do it alone. You owe nothing. God has done everything for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 18, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. What does that mean? All things are of God. It means that God has taken all that responsibility. Exactly what we saw in that, that vision that God gave to Abram. God has taken all that responsibility to himself. I will do my half to save you, and I will do your half to fulfill the law for you, to send my son. Christ has put himself under the law to fulfill the law in your place. You know what? Luther's explanation of the first article. Uh, he's talking about how God created us and preserved us and protects us. And he finishes with, therefore, because God has done all this for us, therefore, it is my responsibility to thank, praise, serve, and obey him. But then he gets to the second article. And the second article, of course, we're talking about all that Jesus has done. He, we're talking about something greater, a greater work that God has done for us, how he sent his son to redeem us. And because it's, it's something that greater that God has done for us, you would think that, that Luther would end that explanation with a greater responsibility. Uh, it's our responsibility to thank, praise, serve, and obey him because he created us, a much greater responsibility because he redeemed and saved us. But Luther doesn't. 
There's not one word in the, his explanation to the second article about what we owe God, because under grace we owe him nothing. It is done. The explanation of the second article from the beginning to end is only Jesus. He has. He did. He is. What he has done for us. We are no longer under that law which demands what we owe God, but under that grace which promises what God has done for us. But, if you want to show your thankfulness to God, God tells us that one among those offerings of thanksgiving that we can give from our heart, one of the things we can do is render to Caesar. Willingly and gladly give to the government not only our taxes, but honor and respect as well. In Christ Jesus our Lord, the question is not what do we owe, but what Christ has done, and how do I freely and gladly respond. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ.